0: Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with Val Hughes of the Value Guys. I'm a 25-year Wall Street veteran who's taken on a secret identity and gone undercover in order to bring you my favorite stocks each week out of that week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen me on television, you've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unvarnished views on the air, so I've disguised my voice and they'll never know. Uh, This week, we look at the uh, January 22nd, 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. But before we get to that, a couple of caveats. Uh, This show is for entertainment purposes only. I am a working professional during the week, but here it's uh, after hours. I uh, may be having a couple of adult beverages and uh, it's just a hobby on the weekend. So um, I may have many conflicts of interest. Um, I may not be entirely informed, various things like that. See all my disclosures at www.thevalueguys.com. And also, uh, you'll see a blog I'm starting uh, a few weeks ago, on uh, which is a summary of the stocks we're going to talk about this week. And you can get that at uh, valuelineobserver.thevalueguys.com. Um, in two thousand and ten, if you 're a listener, you know you may have noticed we changed the format a little bit here i 've moved and um, and so uh, logistics et cetera i 'm just uh, doing the show um, and uh, what we have is uh, three terrific value ideas each week and this is I guess going on our fifth year doing that and i 've introduced a rant a lot of listeners over the years uh you know we'd get into some rants it wasn't all that often ah, every couple of weeks i guess and so i've tried to do rants and uh, you know there's a lot of stuff to rant about this week's rant by the way is a good rant i think my last two weeks were bad rants this week is on um the election in massachusetts and uh how uh, Uh, You know, uh, democracy and voters sometimes, uh, you know, bring surprises to uh, the pundits. And there's some lessons there in the investment business, of course, where, you know, what everyone thinks is going to happen on one day, uh, you know, ends up something different happening on another day. Uh, The other thing I like about it is, you know, uh, Massachusetts is where this all started, where uh, economic freedom in America and the ability for capital to go to work in the best ideas, serving the fastest growing markets, earning returns, was what allowed our nation to go from, uh, you know, a, a continent of forests uh, to the richest country uh, in the world in just a few hundred years, that was uh capitalism and the government was pretty small back then and So what excites me and you know maybe other listeners is just that that same sentiment in Boston when you go up there you know they just don't take any crap up in Boston. They've been that way for three hundred years, and here it's just basically citizens uh, taking back their own money to use uh, what they what they want to use it for. I don't think this was necessarily any kind of um, uh, you know issue with healthcare reform, uh, rather than uh, maybe free uh, enterprise ought to uh, use the reform um, uh, to uh, help their own system. Uh, we we certainly don't have a nationalized uh, uh, you know, food program, housing program, transportation program, and these are all areas that have big components of GDP as well. Uh, we've talked about this on the show. There's a, a solution worth trying because it's free, and that would be if you want consumers to seek the best value in health care, uh, which means looking for the best quality or the best quantity at the best price, which is what drives efficiencies in free markets, then you have to give consumers the ability to shop on the basis of quality, um, and and so I think you need some organization. Maybe the government could you know use its powers to develop a board that would simply evaluate the quality of different providers and let consumers uh, look at that and make choices and then how about prices? So consumers could look for what they view is the best value. Some consumers want to spend a little more. They're going to seek a better, you know, higher price. Uh, Maybe they get more for that. Some will be looking for a value. And those forces at work, the consumer choices will drive efficiency because those that are successful at meeting the needs or wants of consumers will stay in business. And those that aren't successful will be out of business. And it's the same forces of capitalism that have driven efficient markets in all kinds of consumer markets where we have enormous choices at unbelievable prices. Um, and the reason it's uh, not showing up in healthcare is just no mystery to anyone who's ever taken economics, and that is that you have to let the market work. You have to have discovery on price, and you have to have discovery on quality. And we just don't have that. It's free for the government to promote that and require it, perhaps, to allow some board or access to at least evaluate some kind of quality. And it wouldn't be hard to post prices either. I mean, honestly, uh, there's this Internet thing where you could have a website with prices appendectomy, tonsillectomy, you know, I don't know. Anyway, my rant got a little off. I uh, i took a couple of notes here, and I wanted to really just talk about the the uh, reemergence of Massachusetts as a center of change uh, for economic freedom for the benefit of people. And um, and I absolutely, let's fix health care, but let's do it. Let's try some free ways. There's things you can do that are free, pretty free anyway. Uh, versus expensive. So that's my rant uh, this week. Uh, okay, I've got three pretty good value ideas. Not, I mean, they weren't, nothing really got me going. All the charts I look at these days, you know, they, they've all had big moves. Uh, so, but, you know, you have to obviously ignore that. You can't buy the past. And so I'm still looking for good values. I still think if you look at the markets the past couple of days, there's some question as to, at least among some investors, as to whether. Uh, the economy will grow again because employment 's going to be slow uh, to grow uh, again no surprise you 're making it expensive for people to have employees so they 're going to have as few as possible and you 've got a, a lot of uh, uh, you know automation that 's come with the internet, people looking up their own stuff, doing their own stuff, so when demand you know rises at an incremental basis you don 't necessarily need to hire. Another person, you can just add a couple more people to your email list or, or what have you. And so, uh, I do agree it's going to be a while before employment rises. But on the other hand, investors in um, equities, I think, will be beneficiaries um, and have been prior to employees. And so, um, you know, there's still seem, seem to be some decent values out there. We we made uh, we did a couple of trades today in the shop. We are harvesting some gains. I noticed as I was reading through here that one of the companies I think we've talked about here uh, in the past, Catron, uh, is actually uh, being acquired by Hillenbrand. So uh, there's, uh, you know, for those that can get credit or have decent balance sheets, you know, there's some pretty good bargains around right now, accretive deals. And so well-capitalized companies are are doing what they do during a period like this. They're gaining share. They're using their advantages. Uh, they're taking advantage of the weak and they're getting stronger, bigger, and uh more valuable so maybe we have a few of those today first up uh they had a big specialty uh, uh or let 's see specialty machinery area i guess specialty uh no what was it diversified companies and uh I saw one in there that I have talked about before i like it 's kind of an odd one it 's called chemed. Ticker C H E. It's on page uh seventeen fifty-eight in this week's value line. And the first thing I'm attracted to in this one is simply the uh because it's at the top of the page, PE thirteen point nine. So, you know, I'm gonna dip in at that point. Um it's trading, that's about a 20% discount to the market BE. Then I'm going to look down at the return on capital line, which is pretty well down the page on Value Lines uh, data sheet. And the thing I'm going to notice is that um, versus 10 years ago when they were doing single digit returns on capital, now they're doing uh, mid teens returns on capital. And, um, you know, they haven't been growing every year, certainly not last year or this year, but they had a period of pretty rapid growth. And when you look at what that means for incremental return on incremental growth in capital, um, you know, it's it's enormous. And I'm not going to do the calculation, but you can if you just, you know, take year zero capital, subtract year minus one capital, you know, compare the two and do return or EBITDA operating income, and you see. And what could be happening is... Uh, so there's not a lot of detail here. It would certainly warrant a look at the at the 10K from that year. Uh could be an acquisition. Uh could be they invented something. They won a brand name, a patent, you know, who knows? But they suddenly started earning uh returns that on an incremental basis were uh you know very large indeed. This company is uh I haven't even said what they do, and I apologize for that. They've got two businesses, Roto Rooter which we all know it's, uh, one of the largest, uh, national plumbing, um, brands and they don't own them all. They franchise them and it's a great stable business. And then they own, uh, a series of, um, hospices in a subsidiary called Vitus Healthcare. Again, two very stable businesses. Roto-Rooter is the, uh, it says here is the nation's leading provider and uh what does it say here about the hospice it's just uh it it says large so i don't know what that means but um i and i also don't know what's been happening here now the the uh the value line does suggest they've been buying franchises uh of roto rooter <coughs> which incrementally can be a very um high return Exercise because you're capturing the profits of that business without really having any you know, incremental investment to speak of. Um, you know, it's it's a labor-intensive business. Maybe a few trucks that can help your ROI. Uh, it could be that the hospice business is growing very fast and they're rolling that out. But my theme on both of these, because there is a theme here, if I'll get to it, is. Um, that you've got somewhat commodity businesses, but they're consumer, so um, brands can and and the uh, you know the continuous uh, improvement of of the image of the brands is going to lead to share gain uh, simply because it's a market where consumers are going to be drawn to the firm they know and trust. And advertising, let's face it, these things aren't being bought on the metrics that corporate buyers are buying things and so it's a little bit fuzzy you know how do you feel about you know Roto-Rooter I mean the fact is how many plumbers can you name you know for that matter and so you call them they probably have the biggest ad in the uh, yellow pages which you know I don't know if they get the biggest ad on my iPhone yellow pages so but you know it's a name that at least is going to have some resonance for a while and on the um, hospice care side you know the issue there has been Medicare uh, and Medicaid reimbursements where, you know, it's all about price controls and, um, you know, uh, they're going to be under pressure. Uh, something I'd want to just addend to my rant since I just mentioned uh, Medicaid is the the other way to look at the problem here, and this is a good example, is when they start to cap, when they want to cap costs, it means the providers, like com- this company, uh just get price cuts there's no incentive for them to get better more efficient think of something better do do it you know have more productivity so it's just they get price cuts and um you know what what you really have is without that demand curve so for those of you who have had economics you know there's there's two lines one goes from the top left to the bottom right and one goes from the bottom left to the top right and The second one I mentioned is the supply curve. As you have more supply, more quantity, price has to go up in order to induce the providers to make more stuff. They won't do it unless you give them more money. That's how it works. And on the demand side, people won't buy more stuff unless you give them a better price. So, uh, you know, that's that's how that works. When you take the demand curve out of the equation for health care, as I was mentioning earlier... All you're left with is a supply curve. So if you want price to go down, you just are simply moving down the supply curve, which is reducing quantity as you're reducing price. And uh, it's really some type of, of rationing. If you add a demand curve, well, then innovation in the provision of these services can move the demand curve up and down the supply curve. So, uh, you know, I don't have any, uh, I don't have a, you know, PowerPoint here or anything which would help explain this. But uh, basically, um, that's what you have to worry about. At Chemin, is some pressure on prices in this business, and I'm trying to look here and see what percent of the company is what, and I'm not really seeing that here. And so, I don't know. It, it 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 strikes me that it's half and half somehow, but uh I don't know that for sure, but you got to worry a little bit about that. Now on the other hand, I'd say that hospice care is a uh, saves money to the system if we're trying to, you know, you persuade people from a social point of view that it's okay to let people die versus spending half their total life's medical expenses in the last you know, month of their life to keep them alive. If we can let people feel okay about that, then hospices are going to gain share of that pie. And so, uh, you know, again, Medicare caps, Medicaid caps seems counterintuitive to what makes sense, which is, um, you know, maybe there's some social education elements to this. Um, and, uh, if so, and that seems to be the direction we're heading, then this company is going to do well on that side. I guess my, my primary interest here is that you've got two stable businesses. There's a reasonable argument they'll gain share, uh, due to brands and their investment in those brands. They're putting up 12, 13% returns on capital. Their balance sheet's pretty good. Um, 12 times coverage on the interest, 25% debt to capital, um, and, uh, you know they got mid teens returns on on equity uh, from an enterprise value to ebitda point of view we've got an enterprise value of about a billion one 000, 000, the debt offs now well, the debt's a little higher than the cash but they both are dwarfed by the equity so you got a billion one 000, 000 or so and uh ebitda here which is earnings before interest uh depreciation and taxes is uh About 180, so it's roughly six times, which, again, I like to do the inverse. 1 over 6 represents the return I would get if I paid cash for all the stock and all the debt, and then I got the earnings before interest taxes and depreciation as my cash. That would be some type of cash yield that I could compare uh, fairly to a bond or something else I might do with my cash Instead, and it's a pre-tax number, but you know, so is my bond coupon. If I put money into the bond market, that yield that you see quoted in the paper is also uh, a pre-tax, uh, you know, return. At least for a business, you know, if it's in an IRA or something, or you know, tax sheltered, then of course not. Um, but that's, uh, I think, probably um, you know, my favorite valuation tool as just a, a raw yield. Um, what am I going to earn on this, and then to that number it 's it 's fair again from a big picture point of view to to add what you think the growth rate is, not that one number is going to reflect the perfect guess over the you know life of the company but and there, of course, is going to be some mean reversion at work in there uh, over time because even whatever edge they have now is apt to be competed away over time in any case, and so you know you 're not Usually wise to uh, t- to look at a competitive edge lasting beyond four or five years, unless there's some locked tight pattern, but even then, you know imagine the guy who uh, you know had the uh, the black and white television patent or whatever i don 't know um, so, um, but i 've got growth rate here that I think is reasonably uh, predictable simply because it's plumbing, so you've got population growth plus a little share growth plus inflation. And you've got uh, hospice care, which is going to be, you know, death growth, uh, which is a little less than population growth. Um, But, um, and then share gain there, which I can't think of a brand really in that area, which to me always says there's an opportunity to create a brand because I haven't heard of one. So that's ChemEd, page 1758. Boy, I'm really uh, taking a lot of time on these. Uh, Next up And I apologize for that. I'm sure you all have better things to do than listen to me. Valmont Industries, ticker VMI, page 1783. What does Valmont Industries do? They are a global leader in uh, basically making long metal things. And they started out in irrigation, and it says here, uh, world's leading mechanized irrigation equipment provider for agriculture. Um, But they've turned that into other things. They put up towers for lighting, uh, for uh, uh, communication, you know, cell phones, uh, utilities, electricity. And so, you know, the theme on this is that uh, these long metal poles end up having pretty interesting uses. And if electricity is gaining share of energy, which I believe it is, you may or may not, um, then, you know, you're going to need these poles, uh, and then also, um, they're going to be involved, doesn't say here exactly, but I think, because I have done this one before, I think they do some wind, in something in wind. I'm not sure. That might not be right. But they certainly have cell phones. Those have a replacement cycle. Uh, oftentimes, it's long, but it's out there, lighting, those kinds of things. Uh, they've undoubtedly been hit by the slowdown in construction, generally, from lighting and in the farm markets, of course, a bad year after a great year. So, uh, you know, they're, they're cyclically down in that area right now. But I think that when you look back over their history, and I've actually I've known this company for 25 years. Uh, I remember looking at it years ago. The fact that they've managed to stay independent all these years is, um, is interesting. But they've always been a best-of-class provider. If you look back, they've got... Um, you know, a, a history of, uh, you know, nev- never losing money. Their returns have been rising pretty meaningfully over the last seven, eight years in terms of returns on capital, uh, again, in the in the single digits moving into the teens. And when I see that, again, it's always, the dynamics of that are that the incremental returns are very high, and that means something good is going on. They're, they've got a product cycle that's caught on and gaining a lot of share. They've reached some... Uh, you know, stair step point and economies of scale. Um, they've just won a patent suit, and everybody's paying them royalties. You know, you don't always, I, you don't know what it is. You just have to ask them, or, or, um, or you know, oftentimes uh, you read the transcripts, and uh, there's sites out there like Seeking Alpha now. It used to be when I got in the business. I mean, you know, the, you, there weren't trans first, there weren't conference calls, and then. Uh, I remember one of the things I used to do on the sell side is I'd actually record calls on a tape recorder and, you know, make 10 copies and send those to my favorite clients. You know, this is 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and, and now, of course, there's transcripts. For a while, they cost money. But now Seeking Alpha, I've noticed, does a pretty good job. They've got a lot of uh, conference call transcripts. And that's a great place to sort of get... Um, you know, where the rubber meets the road, uh, unscripted uh, information from companies. And um, and so uh, anything you own or think about owning, you really, that ought to be one of your primary research tools, is to read those transcripts of their most recent couple of calls and those of their competitors. It's, uh, you know, in a world where everybody's lawyered up all the time, um, sometimes that's, you know, where you can really get some information um that isn't in the you know in the in the financials um, and so uh getting back to Valmont here, sort of lost my place um, they're priced at uh you know eight times EBITDA, so again, if I bought the whole company, I get the cash flow for myself. That's the EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And the enterprise value represents what I'd have to pay to own all the stock and all the debt. And that yield at 8 times is 1 over 8. So, again, I don't have a calculator. So, what, 12%, 12.5%? And then I'm going to earn the earnings growth, which Value line's estimating at 8%. So that's a 20% return. That's pretty good. You know, you look what you can get at the bank, even if you're way off on that. That's still pretty darn good, and so you, the nice thing about equities is that um, you know if you can minimize your downside, which you know you can't always do that. Oh, oh eight was a very bad year for everyone, but if you've got earnings protection, earnings yield protection, at least you, and some kind of share gain, something proprietary, unless everything's going to blow up completely, you can you know you can weather the storm. And, uh, I think in the case of Valmont, you know, the stock, like everything else has recovered a bit off, uh, the old high on this one is 120. It got down to 40 in the crazy time. So I like to call it now. Um, and now it's back at 75, but, uh, eight times EBITDA, 12% plus growth 20. And you know, they've got some very solid businesses, good, stable growth behind them in terms of, uh, you know, GDP types of growth in, uh, in these utility markets, a little wind at your back with electricity growth, uh, wireless. And, um, you know, farming, I mean, that, that's just, that stuff gets a lot of use. So um, replacement cost. And if we do manage to get, if we do end up having global warming, which I'm not really trying to make fun of it, I mean, who knows, right? But whether it's man-made or not, you could be in some sort of trend. And if that's true... Uh, it's a huge benefit for farming equipment companies because vast tracts of land that you can't farm become farmable. So, um, you know, you'd probably get that for free in this thing right now. Uh, what else can I tell you here? Um, I did compare this, and a little compare and contrast. You know, I was looking at United Technologies, which is also kind of a conglomerate although they do a bunch of different businesses and uh, you know so that was my tie I don't really have enough time to do a complete compared contrast but they have a mid teens return on capital their valuation is a little higher um, so the returns are a little higher the valuation is a little higher their margin is roughly the same and uh, you know but I guess I guess where I came out is that um the margin and the returns at United have been very stable. So my point on this would be good returns is great, but good returns that are going up is better and if you can get them at the same valuation, although, you know, it certainly merits looking at Valmont and digging in seeing why that is. But um my guess is they 're just doing something better than other people, and these uh these polls are uh, you know a new thing for them in in cellular and those things are growing all over the world like mad and they 've got a big piece of that business would be my guess doesn 't exactly say that here, but when you see a rising return on capital um it's not happening in the in the farming business i don 't think maybe it is, but um anyway, that merits some additional uh Research, Valmont Industries, page 1783. And then finally this week, uh, one that we have done on the show before, Hillenbrand. And I think this was a Vern name. Um, Hillenbrand used to be two businesses. It was, um, you know, uh, Bates, Batesville Casket Company. And then it was also... Um, a, a hospital bed company and just like I was mentioning earlier that involved a lot of Medicare Medicaid reimbursement issues a lot of forms to fill out you know lots of rules to follow and you know I mean rules are one thing but it it you know they they got sideways with it somehow I think it's just like you know when you have parents with a hundred rules you know any day they want you're breaking one of them and so uh, they got in a little trouble over some things and um you know it didn't kill them, but it just put a kind of a black cloud on that whole bed business. And um and so, you know, they finally they spun it out. I don't even I don't even know where it is now. It uh it may be its own company called uh Hillrom or something like that. But this is now and this happened a couple of years ago, this is just the casket company. And you know what's to like about it? You know, you don't want to have to think about all that. But, you, you know, it's a business, right? So I'm looking at it. They're doing mid-20s operating margins. So you know that whole thing about taking advantage of a family when they're, you know, at their moment of grief? Yeah, yeah, they do. They do that. It's a 26% operating margin. So that says proprietary and not a lot of price competition. You know, you know people aren't shopping for price generally in this area. Um, The way the business works typically is it's the funeral homes that are serving as the distribution channel, of course, for the caskets. And uh, they have their casket showroom. And uh, I know a few years ago uh, was helpful to the return on capital where they uh, figured out a way to make teeny caskets to show in the showroom so they could fit more in there, give more choice. You know, it's that sort of innovation in this industry You know that you can get, and so I guess my point is R and D not a big piece here. It's a it's a pretty good return on capital business as well. So they've got the mid twenties operating margin, and then you got a you know you you got a a thirty plus percent return on capital. That's pretty good, pretty good, and they got no debt. Well, they have sixty million in debt on a billion two in equity value, and a little bit of cash offsets that. So um for, to buy the whole company, this value line says the stock's at eighteen sixty you know it could be this is Friday. it actually is uh january twenty second right now i 'm actually getting a show on time, so i 'm getting used to my new uh schedule and all um, but the price on here is monday 's price, so i don 't know what the price is but let 's just say they 're approximately right, so eighteen sixty Times uh, 62 million shares, you've got a market cap of a billion two. You add the debt, which is 60 million and nothing, and you subtract the cash, 35 million, you've still got a billion two. Operating income, which we know in Value Line, you can take revenues times operating margin. Um, for you analysts out there, operating margin, uh, typically, when you're looking at operating income in an annual report, Typically, depreciation expense has already been deducted at that point. A little bit of it is in cost of goods, a little bit of it is in uh, you know s g and A. It's kind of they put it where the thing is that's being depreciated. But in value line, I think in order to help with the cash flow uh, situation and their limited space, they have not deducted the depreciation at that point. So if I do operating margin times revenue. times 600 million, I get uh, or 700 million. That gives me about 175 million, and I'm at a billion two over 175 million. That's about seven times. One over seven, 14%. So I've got a 14% cash on cash return, plus a little growth here, which that's the negative on Hillenbrand. Very slow growth. It's the death rate. So, and they might gain some share, but how long can that go on? You know, not forever. So it's and, and they can't get price because then, you know, the anti-trade people, the uh, Federal Trade Commission comes in on them. So they're getting as much price as they're going to get as well. So over time, you know, as I said earlier, they acquired this Catron business, which makes uh, industrial feeders and pneumatic conveyors. It seems to have nothing to do with the casket business at all, uh, you know, wood, metal. Electric, not electric, you know. So I don't know what they're thinking, you know, maybe they knew someone there, but maybe and maybe that'll provide some growth. But meantime, you're getting a 14% cash on cash yield, you've got 4% growth, that gets you to 18%, but a pretty, you know, pretty reliable 18%, and it's paying a 4% yield as well. So that's Hillenbrand ticker HI, and uh. You know, I, uh, I forgot to do this the last couple of weeks because that's all we have. I think uh, Philip wrote in. So thanks, Philip. I mean to do more emails, but I do get some emails, and there's some, we have some nice listeners writing in. You can write me anytime, val at thevalueguys.com. And uh, Philip said that uh, we'd forgotten to do the favorite the last couple of weeks. So um, let me bring it back right now. He reminded me. I'd forgotten to make room in the new format for that. So I think this week it's going to have to be Valmont Industries, everybody, VMI. And what I like about it is that uh, they've always had a history of being good stewards of capital with great returns. And I think they're on to something with these uh, growth markets with their uh, you know, their obviously superior uh, polls. So that's it from the Value Guys this week, everyone. Thanks for listening.